Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth, and as we do every third hour on Tuesdays, we bring in two uh, great Arizonans, uh, Lewis Hallman and his dad, Hugh Hallman. His dad is the former mayor of Tempe and a practicing attorney in town, and Lewis Hallman is the managing director of Insight Analytics. And we've been for a year now talking COVID and policy, COVID and politics, um, and we'll do so in just a moment, uh, just to make sure you had the breaking news in case you hadn't heard uh, Derek Chauvin, the former uh, police officer from Minneapolis, uh, was found uh, guilty of uh, three uh, different counts of uh, homicide in the death of uh, death of George Floyd. Sentencing to take place in about two months. Uh, we covered it really substantially in the last hour. If you missed any part of it, please go uh, to 960thepatriot.com. You can always get anything um, we've done. Uh, there and free and commercial free uh, did a big treatment of that uh, in the last hour and now we turn to the other heartbreak of the day which is COVID and what it's doing to us there was an op-ed in today's Wall Street Journal by a professor of medicine at uh, UCLA and he's talking about the problem isn't only the overreaction to the virus but the diminution of every other problem. This became a very privileged disease, it turns out, over this past year. Gentlemen, where are we on it? Well, I think, Seth, that that's a, that's a really great point, and it echoes a lot of what we've been saying this entire time, that we really need to be having a conversation about trade-offs when talking about the virus, and that this... Or anything else. Or anything else, indeed, and that this, this COVID mania, as it was put, is sort of the end result of this univariate, one-way-only focus on one issue at the expense of all others. During the pandemic, we've talked here, Seth, I think you probably, given your work in various charitable activities, including Not My Kid and other things that focus on youth uh, health, mental health in particular, um, that the the way in which we've attacked COVID as a society has put significant burden on our children. And I think Lewis is, uh, I'll ask him to comment on the, the philosophy of how that's led, led us down to some bad paths. But in this instance, by only focusing on how do we save ourselves from a specific virus and the disease that results from it, we've forgotten about uh, children's suicide and drug addiction and other kinds of behaviors. Children who were in bad homes that uh, pr- received their best part of their day from their school environments. The fact that we've now had a year of, uh, they call it learning loss, how can you lose something you didn't have? It's the failure to educate children for nearly a year. Um, and as I think about it, it's rather like uh, those days in, uh, of yore when the substitute would come in. And suddenly we have a year-long substitute, and you can see that AV cart rolling into the room. And now we've tried to teach our children uh, through substitute teachers uh, whose best uh, effort was to stay alive in a classroom of hostile children who knew that they could get away with murder. And so we've, we've failed to educate children and all the other unintended consequences. But I think Lewis has a great insight into how that uh, first step has led us into some bad choices. So one one of the things that that we were discussing earlier was this idea that um, having so much focus on the school side of the pandemic, on these types of of lockdowns, all in the name of protecting our children, when in fact we all know now that the disease is very, very uh, benign is the wrong word. It's not nearly as dangerous for children as it is for adults. 
Um, and so my my worry and my suspicion is is that by focusing so much on on shutting down schools and and hearkening to this question that for the layperson who doesn't follow the literature closely, all of the emphasis has made COVID out to be dramatically more dangerous to our children than it actually is, and that this internalization has completely deranged our response to it. Hence the mania, that you end up with all kinds of of uh, signals being communicated to the public that are not well um, educated about the f- finer pieces of this, the science surrounding this. We then have the politicization of the science by pretending that uh, science is somehow uh, objective and that scientists don't have individually their own value systems where they're weighting one thing more than another. And so we have very different uh, commentary from very different scientists, like the physician from UCLA in uh, today's Wall Street Journal, talking about the things that were missed and ignored at the expense uh, of our youth and so many other aspects of real life. And all of that tells us that for those who continue to say, follow the science, and what they really mean is follow the scientists who agree with me, they're admitting effectively that Everyone has a a value system that they're applying in life, and that's true of scientists as well. I want to take you back to give Lewis a little plaudit, because if you go back almost a year, uh, he is the one who pulled apart the research in the early days of school closure, being based on a 10th grader's science paper that was sold to the United States government, ultimately sold to the British government, and it led to all the school closures, not only in the U.S., but across Europe. And it took uh, Europeans less time than Americans to start pulling it apart and realizing that the science under which that model for schools being the vector for all disease was nonsense. And ultimately, the science and the data demonstrate to us that children are not spreading the virus, are not spreading the disease, are not uh, succumbing to the virus or the disease nearly as readily as adults, and that ultimately school closures may have been the worst policy choice we could have made. That's exactly right. So all of that being said, though, let's look at, I think, where we are currently uh, with the pandemic. We are in sort of this... Uh, another of these doldrums we have where we're not in the middle of a spike and, and co- we're, we're sort of uh, societally in remission, if I can steal that term. Um, so currently we're seeing about 6% of our hospital inpatient beds and 9% of our ICU beds occupied by COVID patients, keeping our overall utilization rates in the mid-80s for both. This is a total of, to put it in more perspective. This is about 700 beds currently all over the state that are occupied with COVID patients. So that is the sum total of hospitalizations. Um, Deaths remain low, uh, fewer than 100 per week, typically, uh, as they have for the last uh, many, many weeks. Um, But what I'd really like to talk about is the vaccination efforts. So currently, uh, we have about 1.8 million people in the state fully vaccinated with another Uh, 900,000 partially vaccinated. Now, one of the difficult things in talking about vaccinations is the difference between people vaccinated and doses administered. And this trips everybody up all of the time. So earlier in the pandemic, before the Johnson & Johnson uh, uh, vaccine was released, all of the vaccines that were available required two doses to get fully vaccinated. And so you would would expect then to see... um, 
total doses equal to double the population for full vaccination at whatever um, herd immunity rate you want. So, for example, in the United States, we have currently about 85, 86 million people fully vaccinated with 212 million doses administered. So that tells you that if you do the proper math and you have to adjust a little bit for the Johnson & Johnson, you're looking at about 170 million, 165 million uh, doses um, to get the full vaccinated group. And you take that out of the 212 million, that, that then leaves you about 35 million uh, additional doses that have been administered. What's amazing to me still is that if you look around the world, the U.S. has vaccinated fully about 85, 85, 86 million people. That's not quite, but almost the equivalent of all the full vaccinations in the entire rest of the world combined. And yet we don't hear anybody talking about the great success of the uh, first administration's work, the warp speed effort to get a vaccine in the first instance. Uh, and we certainly don't hear the press talking about this great success, whether you want to attribute it to Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Actually, there are things we get right. More broadly, this is a this really speaks well of the American healthcare system in general. You know, too often you hear talk, you know, when comparing our system to many offers which offer more more universal coverage. Yes, gee, I want to go to Canada to get vaccinated. Right, or, or, or I want to go to the UK to get vaccinated. Right. So so the, one of the big trade-offs that we make in having a healthcare system that is designed like ours is that ours emphasizes much more the R&D side of pharmaceutical creation, which means that when these kinds of pandemics come, we are automatically, as a society, the first in line to receive the vaccination. And that is worth something to us, and that is a cost that is and, and a benefit that is often hidden from us in talking about our healthcare system. And it is part of the reason that the U.S. healthcare system has extraordinary costs. There are lots of other bad reasons for why we have it, but that's an example of a good result. When we come back, I want to talk about a little bit about a phrase you used earlier uh, in a slightly uh, different context, which is our children use losing a year of learning. I want to talk a little bit about the lost learning that society, the adult society, went through over the past year, too, if I can. I'm Seth Leaps, and they're Hugh and Lewis Hallman. We're at 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Let me tell you about my friend Solar Sandy, the woman who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. One of the big differences between Solar Sandy and the other solar companies in town is that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way. Solar Sandy has the formula. She is the right way. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back into your pocket. When you go solar, Solar Sandy will pay 12 months of your solar payments, any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months. And for the first 50 families who sign up with her, she'll give you a $1,000 signing bonus. That's right. No solar panel payments, no power bills for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. There's no better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Check her out at AskSolarSandy.com. Again, that's AskSolarSandy.com. And tell her Seth sent you. Delighted to have Hugh and Lewis Hallman with us here. Um, you talked, Hugh, in the context of children, there's this notion of losing a year of learning. And what we mean by that, tell me if I have it wrong, what we mean by that is uh, – the time between uh, time between sessions of school, um, you can have equivalent 
loss of learning. So if you have three or four or five months out of school, you can have the equivalent of a year's loss of learning or more. That's the way we usually talk about it, correct? Yeah, certainly. Usually in the, in the context of summer school, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right. summer, the summer breaks right. and that we worry about kids losing what they'd learned. Right. That's typically what it's conceived of. But in this instance, we're literally talking about the fact that students were not educated That's for right. 12 months. That's right. And so we had not only what we would typically have called learning loss because students forgot stuff that they'd been taught. Three times the equivalent of a summer, by the way. Exactly. But they've not then been exposed to much. Now, is that true for every teacher? Is that true for every school? Absolutely not. In fact, uh, most of our charter schools got up and rerunning relatively early. And for public school teachers, my grave distress is that we've got lots of great teachers out there. But I think they've been misserved by the folks who are more gravely concerned about a pandemic and about uh, getting the disease or those who wanted to use it as the opportunity not to have to go to work. And as a result, I think our school teachers, our public school teachers, lost not only opportunities to improve their teaching and help their students, but they lost a lot of political capital. I wanted to ask you about a different kind of loss of learning, and that's the adult population's loss of learning. Because it seemed a very large part of our population was willing to go through some kind of whiplash based on guesswork. Uh, one, one doesn't have to be a cynic to say today, I'm still not sure we know a lot more about COVID than we did a year ago in many respects. We started a year ago being told not to wear masks, and now we're told to wear masks. We started a year ago where people were spraying down with Clorox their groceries and leaving them outside. We're now told surface contact doesn't transmit the coronavirus. We were having people gel down and Clorox and Lysol down their their, their desks and offices, and turns out all for naught. And we went along with all these things, so many of us did, with such whiplash that we now arrive to a point where miracle of miracles, we have a vaccine, and we're even told at that point we still have to curtail travel and wear masks, putting into all kinds of questions even the notion of the vaccine. But that having been said, Hugh, what do you say about an adult society that's willing to go through and put themselves through that all the while these other stresses that have been given them, closings of business, closings of certain kinds of travel, closings of childhood uh, daycare options, and closings of church and recovery meetings. I mean, those are a lot of stressors to put on a society that's going through that kind of whiplash, isn't it? And our whole society has to keep in mind that the creation of this place was based on a fairly hardy group of people traveling by rickety boats to get to the country. Uh, Native Americans certainly were here, but uh, talking about how this country was founded as a nation. And the uh, those who came here were, uh, again, a hearty and stout group of people. But even at the founding of this country, it wasn't unanimous. It was a very small proportion of the population that was of the mindset that the 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 Europeans here should be independent of Great Britain. There were perhaps equal numbers of people who were uninterested and or disinterested and equal number of people who wanted to remain loyal to Great Britain. So in that environment, you have a whole 
a very small percentage of the population that drove the change to create this nation. And it is just that same sort of percentage you have to watch that has to understand that what we are can be lost. And when you see what's going on in our society with the ease with which people are accepting and being whipsawed about what they should and should not do, whether they should wear masks or not wear masks, Clorox everything or not, go to school or not, socially distance or not, get the vaccine or not. Uh, If you get the vaccine, can you then dispense with wearing the mask or not? All of those issues have people advocating on both sides and few people, Lewis is an exception, you're an exception, take the time to dig in to the material and try to assess and suss out what what supports one view or another. And the politics involved in that, in much of what's out there, is significant. And so it shouldn't surprise one that we can have a large percentage of our population uh, driven to decide that they will or will not wear masks based on fairly thin information. But in some ways, many of these things don't really matter on the day-to-day basis. Most of us, as Madison understood, are involved in our daily lives, raising our children and enjoying our family and doing the things we enjoy. The three of us sitting in this room are the political beasts that enjoy politics to the point that we study it and with great care. And the COVID uh, phase and the mania around it is part of the political environment in which we're engaged. And so that most people don't have the depth of knowledge that you and Lewis do, and that I then feed off of uh, as a great big leech here, um, uh, is not a surprise. But it does, it's a really good object lesson in how quickly and easily people can be led astray. And that's the part that frightens me most. So I actually don't know that I entirely agree with your answer there. Thank God. Because I I actually, my, my response to your initial framing, Seth, is that what you described to me sounds like a very human system. Um, and in in some regards, you know, a lot of what we've seen ought to have been very unsurprising, right? Power, when it, it, when it seizes control over a new function, is loath to let it go. What representative do you know of who, once they gain any uh, control over a committee or the ability to exercise power, willingly then relinquishes it or later on? It it doesn't really happen. And so... Except that the citizens of this population did that. That's why I think it's not an exactly human system. They were put through inhumane uh, labyrinths to run through and, and, and accepted it. Right? That's what's so weird. Do you want to get back uh, more, more into yeah, more detail? Yeah, I'll, I'll rebut this. Take, take, take this on. When we All right. Back. We'll be right back. No backing down. I'm Hugh Hallman. I'm joined by Lewis Hallman. We have the thrill of uh, guest hosting for the next half hour on KKNT 960, The Patriot, for Seth Liebson. He is such a committed uh, activist in our community for good causes that he had to scoot out of the studio in order to uh, help one of uh, his favorite charitable organizations, Not My Kid, uh, continue to do great works, especially in this pandemic. Not My Kid has helped many, many children in the state of Arizona and their parents uh, recover and or avoid uh, drug addiction and other kinds of uh, substance abuses. So we want to thank Seth for this opportunity. We were talking about, before the break, uh, the issue of whether or not uh, adults have missed out on learning by 
uh, either not understanding or ignoring the uh, information that they could have used to at least uh, question the uh, government actions and the information that was being provided to support it. And Lewis wanted to make the point that his father is wrong, and how often does uh, a progeny get to uh, espouse such a conclusion on radio? All you, Lou. Well, in my instance, at least semi-frequently. Uh, but so I, I, I think that the, the issue comes down to what do we mean when we say lost learning? Do we mean that adults haven't risen to the challenge and learned all that there is to know about the particular policy issue? Probably. I, I would concede that healthily. You know, I don't think anyone could disagree with that reasonably. But it occurs to me that most people, the median individual in any circumstance, kind of just wants to grill. They're, like Most consumers of, of generally are not vastly interested in the detailed goings on of every political or social issue. And so in that regard, you know, I, I don't think I agree. And as to Seth's original premise that we hadn't learned much about COVID, I actually think that we've learned a fair bit. We know who is vulnerable. We have a vaccine to treat it. You know, th th there have been significant progresses and advancement made as a society in, in sort of gathering our knowledge about this issue. But where I think that we disagree is that our learning doesn't equip us to deal with this well because dealing with this well is not a question of knowledge. It, as we have been saying again on this show repeatedly, it's a question of values. The reason that we don't seem to have any consensus or solid built-together plan is because we, don't, we aren't able in this country to force everyone to agree and to cram everyone into one viewpoint. And frankly, thank God for that, because if consensus were be able to be manufactured in that way— it would be very scary, I think. That would be ripe for abuse and ripe for the destruction of our civil liberties. Well, but I think you were talking about earlier that the issue is really that we have government actors who have taken power uh, in an environment in which uh, people were scared. There was an absence of information. And so Absolutely. we had governors across the country, mayors across this state and in other states, uh, county boards of supervisors and others. Uh, determined that they were the ones who would be in charge and make decisions. So the governor of the state of Arizona issued uh, dozens of proclamations. Without, without having to bear the cost of their failures in any way, by the way. So totally disconnected from the consequences of their risk-heavy uh, behaviors. Correct. So we, for example, close schools. Very few people are being held accountable for not just the learning loss, meaning kids losing what they had already learned, but the failure to teach at all for an entire year or much of that year, the suicide rate for children, the drug addiction and alcohol abuse for children, the fact that many children did not receive the meals they otherwise would have received because our schools have become the safety net the social services safety net for many, many people. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it makes is a, logistical sense in many cases. It is yes. a fact. And so those people who took power and exercised it are not then held accountable for the failures of their exercise of power. And I think uh, one example of that is mask or no mask uh, or other social distancing uh, things. I think it comes down to the reason we have a political divide in this country on those issues are some people are less offended by government exercising power and authority. They're m more willing to accept that. Their political philosophy 
views that government exercise of power solves problems. They also value compassion probably more than liberty. They, they worry about the opportunity cost of spreading more than they take umbrage at the governmental overreach. Exactly the point I was going to make, so that we have this political divide based on those different values. Why are we surprised then that we're putting different weights and different values in the analysis of science or chemistry or medicine? I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman. We're filling in for Seth Liebson for just a short bit here on KKNT 960, The Patriot. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman. I'm joined by Lewis Hallman. We are grateful to our friend Seth Liebson for allowing us to fill in for a few minutes here on KKNT 960, The Patriot. We have been puzzling through how it is we've ended up in such a mess uh, in our society that seems to be driven by... significantly by the fact that we've had a pandemic. And Lewis and I are somewhat skeptical that that pandemic has been used by people in power to uh, use their authority to aggrandize themselves and demonstrate that they like to use power. As often happens. Uh, George Washington, in fact, is a, a mythological figure to us Americans because he did that which is so against human nature. He voluntarily gave up power after two terms in the highest office. That's the unusual thing. So you see uh, governors very slowly giving up their uh, powers that they exercised in uh, emergency clauses. Uh, In fact, uh, Governor Ducey was one of the earlier governors to uh, restrict his own power and give up his uh, executive authority, as I think the first was the governor of Texas. Uh, Then a number of uh, Republican governors followed thereafter. But enough pressure built that you saw, for example, the governor of Oregon, a fairly liberal Democrat, giving up her power uh, and authority over school closures. Uh, She uh, moved about a week after Governor Ducey did in arguing that schools needed to reopen. There was much hue and cry here, no pun intended, that uh, he should not have issued that executive order requiring schools to reopen on the grounds it was too early, too early. And yet his point, I think, was a good political point uh, that there was so much pressure on public schools not to reopen by various vested interests that in order to get that logjam broken, He is the executive authority of the state, needed to push that forward. There have been examples when, for example, he uh, restricted the mandate on masks, made mask wearing voluntary, and restricted municipal governments and lower-level governments of the state, agencies of the state, from requiring masks. But there are cities out there that are still requiring masks. Uh, And the question is, If that is uh, a violation of the governor's executive authority under state law, why hasn't the governor sought to have those cities prosecuted? Why hasn't the attorney general taken up that charge? And frankly, uh, why hasn't a state legislator asserted uh, claims under old Senate Bill 1487 that those cities are violating state law? It's interesting that uh, that hasn't happened. Well, it becomes, you know, if you were to try to make that case, you effectively have to be arguing for the abstraction of civil liberties against an opposition that is going to say, well, you just don't care if you kill people. And that is a politically very, very difficult needle to thread. So, again, it's it's kind of not surprising that we see this sort of, I don't know, uh, 
lull in leadership, perhaps, is the most charitable way I can think to put it? Well, I think it's more than that, don't you, Lou? That it's not just a lull in leadership, that it is characterizing or demonstrating the character of many leaders. Absolutely. And, and it's showing them to be of exactly the kind of leader that Tolstoy describes in War and Peace. Yes, here we are on KKNT 960, The Patriot, talking about Leo Tolstoy. Go ahead, Lou. I think it's a good point. Uh, so in, in War and Peace, in talking about the movement of uh, Napoleon's army and the Russian armies, Tolstoy made the, the point, and I'm paraphrasing, that the, the generals of the army were not, in fact, leading it, but they were, in fact, rather trying to run frantically to stay at the head of the band and in, and such were sort of pulled and, and pushed by whatever sort of volatile frenzy had overtaken the force as a whole. And that is actually the, the scariest part of our modern state of affairs is that we have too many who have gotten elected by running in front of the crowd, staying in front of them. That is what we call populism, effectively, and that it has infected more and more of our elected officials than one might think. Certainly in our own state, there are a number of people who come to mind who are not known for their effective leadership, but for their followship, that they can jump in front of the crowd or jump on top of the tackle pile and look like they got there first. Well, it also, you know, then, then further raises an interesting question when you think about to what degree we we value uh, voter participation and, you know, to the degree to which we want to extend it. Is including large numbers of low or no information voters necessarily a better outcome or does it facilitate more of those kinds of games? Boy, how quickly we turned this COVID discussion into how many voters is enough? How easy must we make it to vote? And how many safeguards for protecting the vote, one man, one vote, must we give up in order to uh, facilitate the ease with which one can vote? We're going to take Jim from Peoria, who's called about school boards. Jim, welcome to the show. Hugh, how are you, sir? Doing great. Yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, it's actually Tim, but I don't worry about uh, Tim or Jim. I've been called worse. Uh, so you have I. have your... Yeah, you have your thumb on the pulse, as it is with education. Uh, recently, Governor Ducey has gone ahead and lifted the mandate, if you will, uh, for masks in school, leaving it schools, leaving it up to the school boards. And some school boards, they've even said it's up to the individual school site to go ahead and lift that ban. Uh, as school boards here in the West Valley frantically, uh, I guess, shape their agenda for their ne next governing board meeting, the rumbles, if you will, that I hear here in the West Valley, having been a school teacher for 12 years uh, throughout the valley, is that if par parents are trying to get more of their power back, I've always said that, that parents need to empower themselves when it comes to curriculum and what happens in the, in the classroom. They are the end-all and the be-all as far as the voice of sometimes reason and of power. I, don't, I think that sometimes you know, some parents may jump the gun and may not always be right, but in, the, in most cases, I think parents should have more power uh, with school boards. None of that being said, uh, we are seeing a threat by some parents and parent groups in the West Valley to withhold or to move forward with a campaign against bonds for the building of new campuses uh, in districts throughout the West Valley. I'm not sure if that's something that we are seeing in the East Valley, but it's, it's being talked about. And I'm curious to get your opinion on it. Uh, because it all comes down to lifting the ma the mandate and making up for the uh, you know the reprehensible level of learning loss that we have seen since March of 2020. 
Tim, thank you actually for the call. We've got to go to a break. We'll pick it up on the other side, and I'll try to answer it quickly as we close out the show. Thank you again, Tim, for listening and for your call, and thank you for your service as a teacher. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman. I'm joined by Lewis Hallman. We're here on KKNT 960, The Patriot. Uh, we had a call from Tim talking about uh, what's happened with school districts and teachers, and I don't think it's uh, only the West Valley. This pandemic has uh, pitted charter schools and private schools against the traditional public schools, and the behavior of those organizations have been quite different, in part because of the pressure that parents exert in those environments. Parents have to make the choice to put their children in private school and typically have to write larger checks. Or if they put them in the charter school, they are making the choice to leave their traditional public school. And in doing so, you tend to, although it's not exact, you tend to have parents who are more active in their students' lives and environments. So public, traditional public schools are seeing uh, some loss of support by people with school-aged children and their family members, and I think it ultimately will redound badly to teachers' benefit, meaning that uh, the the benefits that teachers built up during the Red for Ed era a couple of years ago, I think, have been squandered, that that political capital has been lost, and I think school districts are now going to find it harder to convince parents whose children are no longer going to their schools uh, to fund them with bond elections. But I think that's part of a bigger problem. Lou? Right. So I think that uh, one of the things that really struck me about Tim's question was that it really crystallized for me uh, one of the, the power dynamics that's been happening in that we have centralized top-down directives that are stripping our civil liberties away, but we are then forced to resort to a decentralized individual parent-based approach to try and restore them. It's almost eerie to me that there seems to be no mechanism through which our civil liberties can be restored quickly and with our consent, only that they can be taken away quickly and without our consent. And that's why we need to be ever more watchful. We are grateful that you've been listening to KKNT 960 The Patriot and The Seth Liebson Show. This is the place where we can uh, learn things that help us protect our liberties. And with that, God bless and class dismissed. <laughs>